Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. Empire. Welcome to Inside the Cap. I'm your host, Joel Corey. You can find me on Twitter at Corey Joel. That is C-O-R-R-Y-J-O-E-L. And also have a regular column on CBSSports.com called Agents Take on NFL contracts and salary cap matters. Um, this week we're going to look at two things. One, uh, implications of Frank Clark's legal problems and also franchise players because there's a long-term deal deadline of July 15th, um, which is rapidly approaching. No, Friday, um, we got some news which uh, kind of piqued my interest um, that the L.A. County DA's office uh, charged Frank Clark with a felony weapons possession um, from a March 13th arrest by the California Highway Patrol that he supposedly had a a loaded handgun and rifle, um, two loaded firearms uh, in the car during a routine traffic stop for uh, not having a front license plate. Yes, California is one of those states where you have two license plates, a front and a back, uh, back one. So on Friday, the DA's office uh, hit him with that charge. He's going to be uh, arraigned on July 14th. This carries a prison sentence of up to three years if convicted. Now, gun laws vary from state to state, and as soon as I saw what the penalty could be, the first thing I I thought of was, oh yeah, didn't Plexico Burris over a decade ago end up doing close to two years in prison for carrying a um, firearm and having it accidentally discharged and shoot himself in the leg in a nightclub? And all that stemmed from then-Mayor Michael Bloomberg wanted to aggressively pursue uh, charges against Burris and make him an example. So they threw, they threw the book at him as much as possible. Now, I don't know how they treat things in L.A., but to make matters worse, there's a separate arrest um, for Frank Clark. So he's got two gun issues. There was one on, I think, June 20th where um, he was stopped and police in L.A. saw an Uzi sticking out of a bag um, during the stop. So he was arrested on suspicion of having concealed firearm in the vehicle. And that uh, gun supposedly belongs to uh, Clark's bodyguard. So <laughs> it's And this is a guy that um, came into the league under a cloud of suspicion because... He was a second-round pick um, when he was drafted, I believe, in 2015. And he was uh, had a domestic violence uh, issue looming over him. Um, had pretty much uh, kept 
clean, no legal issues between that issue heading into coming into the league and now. But what I thought of when I saw um, the uh, gun charge, <laughs> the felony, the felony weapons possession from the March arrest, was like, hmm, um, that's that, he's got a potential uh, personal conduct policy issue. And yes, Frank Clark does. <laughs> Under the uh, personal conduct policy, um, it it explicitly states it is not enough simply to avoid being found guilty of a crime in a court of law. We are all held to a higher standard and must conduct ourselves in a way that is responsible, promotes the values of the NFL, and is lawful. Uh, it says players convicted of a crime are subject to a disposition of a criminal uh, criminal proceeding are subject to discipline. But even if the conduct does not result in a criminal conviction, players found engaged in any of the following conduct will be subject to discipline. Prohibited conduct includes, but is not limited to the following. And the fifth bullet point is illegal possession of a gun or weapon, such as explosives, toxic substances, and the like, or possession of a gun or any weapon in any workplace setting. So, satisfies the first part of that. Illegal possession of a gun. Well, there you go. That's where you got the personal conduct uh, uh, potential uh, issue. And then, disposition of a criminal proceeding. Means adjudication of guilt or admission to a criminal violation, a plea to a lesser included offense, a plea of no low content rate or no contrast contest, disposition of a proceeding through a diversionary program. So uh, there are a lot of things, and blah, blah, blah continues to go on. So there are a lot of things which, uh, based on how this thing goes, which puts him in the crosshairs of the uh, personal. Uh, conduct policy. Then discipline. A player violates this policy when he has disposition of a criminal proceeding um, or if the league's investigation demonstrates that he is engaged in conduct prohibited by the policy. And so in cases when a player is not charged for a crime or is charged with a crime but not convicted, he may still be found to have violated the policy if credible evidence establishes that he engaged in prohibited conduct. So there's probably no way around a personal conduct policy fine or suspension. Now, there's something called the uh, commissioner exempt list, and you can be placed on what's called paid administrative leave if a couple of things happen. It outlines three different circumstances. One, first, when a player is formally charged with a felony offense. Well, we already got a charge of a felony offense, so he automatically qualifies um, for um, paid leave. By, by, and, and Clark has a fully guaranteed $18.5 million salary. Can't imagine Chiefs <laughs> won't want to pay him money while he's on paid administrative leave, however long that is. Um, we saw several years ago that um, until there was a disposition or, or a resolution with the uh, child abuse allegations with um, future Hall of Fame running back um, Adrian Peterson, when he still with the Vikings, he was placed on the commissioner exemplist and was paid for the year. Uh, so then leave with pay generally lasts until the league makes a disciplinary decision, uh, disciplinary decision, and any appeal from the discipline is fully resolved. Any regular and or postseason games a player misses while placed on the commissioner exemplist will be credited against any suspension later 
imposed on him, in which case the player will return any salary proportionate to the credited game. So, yeah, he's got a he's got a potential issue, and let's say he got a four game four game suspension um, with that eighteen point five million dollar base salary. He's getting paid, then suspensions are unpaid. That's basically four point one million dollars of pay that he'd have to give up. I'm I don't know if he'd get a suspension, but um, that's what would come into play. And now, then that raised another issue for me. I'm like, hmm, there's a laundry list of reasons why guarantees can void in a contract. Um, so, uh, and they vary from team to team on what those exact circumstances are. So, the thing I do is look at Frank contract, Frank Clark's contract. Now, they're listed usually in the addendums of the contract and under what's called defaults. And then the relevant ones which could come into play for Frank Clark, there are like 20 different reasons you, you can have guarantees void. I may be over-exaggerating, but there's a ton of them. Um, and the particular ones which could be a problem are if players suspended by NFL or club for conduct detrimental or if players suspended for violation of the NFL personal conduct policy. So either one of those, guarantees will void. Other ones which could come into play. If club reasonably believes the player engaged in personal conduct reasonably judged by club to materially adversely affect or reflect on club, or a player has contract terminated for engaging in personal conduct reasonably judged by club to materially adversely affect or reflect on club. So this gives the Kansas City Chiefs options. That if they wanted to, and I'm not saying they are, if they want, if they wanted to get out of Frank Clark's contract, this gives them an out. This is the last year of his guaranteed money. He already was probably on the hot seat that if he didn't have a good year this year, that his roster spot was going to be in jeopardy. Uh, Clark signed a five-year, $104 million contract averaging $20.8 million per year two years ago um, in a sign-in tr- franchise player sign-and-trade. Seattle franchised him uh, right before the 2019 NFL draft. Now, Clark's been named to the Pro Bowl twice, yeah, but he's not necessarily living up to this contract. Um, and here, Here's why I say that. Well, he had, um, in 2019, eight sacks which is respectable, 47 quarterback pressures. In 2020, 44 pressures and six sacks. Uh, When Chiefs won the Super Bowl, played great in the pro season, 17 pressures, five sacks in the postseason last year, had three sacks and five pressures. Now, he's got 91 pressures in two years. Zadarius Smith in 2019 had 93 quarterback pressures. His 91 quarterback pressures are three less than Daniel Hunter had. In 2019, Daniel Hunter missed last year because of a uh, neck injury, which required surgery. Daniel Hunter, 88 pressures in 2019, 14 and a half sacks in 2019. Frank Clark has 14 regular season sacks, so this guy um, was going to be vulnerable anyway. Now, Frank Clark has a $25.8 million cap hit this year. $19 million total salary, $18.5 million base salary. It's fully guaranteed $5 million, $500,000 workout bonus he's already earned. So that is the seventh largest cap hit in the NFL, largest cap hit for any non-quarterback. Then in 2022, 
$19.5 million salary, $21 million salary, cap hit of 26.3 and 22, cap hit of 27.8 in 2023. So he's going to be vulnerable anyway. Now, in addition to the uh, guarantees, if Kansas City was looking for a way to get out of the contact contract because of the uh, gun charges, paragraph 11 of the standard player contract has something they could potentially hang their hat on. It's the skill, performance, and conduct paragraph in the standard player contract. And obviously, that uh, you get cut for skill or, or performance, and you don't have any guarantees, then your salary uh, goes away. There's also something that says, or if player has engaged in personal conduct reasonably judged by club to adversely affect or reflect on club, then club may terminate this contract. So that's another potential way if they wanted to get out of the contract. I'm not saying that's the route they're going to go. I'm just saying they have options if they want to do that from either voiding the guarantees um, because of the conduct, if they if they deem the gun charges to be conduct which um, adversely reflects on the club, they can go that way. They can wait to see if there's a suspension. If there's a suspens- suspension of the uh, under the personal conduct policy, guarantees are going to void. They could take the position this is conduct detrimental to the team and give him and suspend him. Guarantees will void. I don't think they want to pay him $18.5 million or some portion of that while he's on administrative leave, which is a realistic possibility given the parameters and how the procedures read in the per, in the personal conduct policy. Now, out, if you do void the guarantees, that doesn't mean you magically get to wipe out the contract. What happens is you still have bonus proration that is a sunk cost. And since we are after June 1st, if they void the guarantees, and I, and I would imagine there would probably be a grievance on behalf of Frank Clark by the NFLPA or his representation would probably file a grievance and then 40% of the disputed amount, and we're talking $18.5 million would be the disputed amount, 40% would be $7.4 million, that would be a cap charge. But the Chiefs, upon voiding since we're after June 1, bonus proration from future years does not hit the cap. The bonus proration... Um, in Clark's contract is pretty substantial. He had a $19 million signing bonus and he had $7 million this is a, on the five-year deal, so that's probably 380 a year. Then he had a $7 million fully guaranteed base salary advance in 2020. So that got treated as signing bonus um, as well. So that $7 million gets prorated $1.75 million um, on the cap um, from 2020 on um, through 2023. Then they also did a salary conversion in 2020, where five million of his base salary was converted into signing bonus. <laughs> so that means that that's more bonus proration. That's 1.25 million prorated 2020 through 2023. So you already have the sunk cost. They already. The roster bonus has been earned, so that's $500,000. So 
you've got $6.8 million of proration in each of the remaining years, 2021, 22, and 2023. So you would pick up $18.5 million of cap space this year if you decided to wash your hands of Frank Clark. You'd have a $7.3 million cap charge this year, and then you would have 136 as a cap charge in 2022 from the remaining bonus proration from 2022 and 2023. So the total dead money, so to speak, would be $20.9 million split in the way I just described for 2021 and 2022. So I'd keep an eye on this. Now, when you're talking suspension, then potentially you have signing, signing bonus forfeiture, and the forfeiture would only apply potentially to the $19 million signing bonus. It wouldn't apply to the restructured, the $5 million signing bonus in the restructure because the way agents negotiate the forfeiture provisions is only for that season in question, 2020. And the proration for the, the, the $7 million base salary advance, which is being prorated, you can't go back and get money from base salary already paid. But the $19 million signing bonus potentially a portion of it would potentially be forfeitable. And typically, forfeiture is proportionate to the number of games missed. And that only applies to the pro the prorated amount in that particular year. So we're talking, let's say Frank Clark gets suspended four games on the personal conduct policy or for conduct detrimental. Then the Chiefs are going to be thinking, okay, it's 18-week regular season. We're talking, we got the 3-8, and we got 18 weeks for the regular season. Then that's basically $211,111 for each game missed they could go after. So if you're talking four games, you're talking $844,444 that they potentially could try to get recouped from Frank Clark. And then you probably have a grievance over that as well because Article 4, Section 9 of the CVA covers bonus forfeiture. And he's got a case for the way it reads. This this thing actually can be left to interpretation because it specifically outlines four circumstances. You willfully fail to report practice or play or play with the team. And then they outline, for example, without limitation, holding out or leaving squad absence, a showing of extreme personal ha- uh, hardship to unavailable to team due to conduct that results in his incarceration. Yeah, so you could say technically resulting in incarceration. Would, well, he's not unavailable to the team because of incarceration, so that wouldn't apply to the arrest. He'd have to be incarcerated and like Michael Vick was or Plesko Verus where you actually have been convicted and go to jail. Um, Unavailable to the team due to a non-football injury that resulted from a material breach of uh, paragraph 3 of the player contract. Not going to apply because that's for, like, hazardous activities. Um, Or you have a Juwan James injury working working out away from the facility. Or you voluntarily retire. Then further in this section of CBA... Um, it specifically mentions policy violations, and there are only two policy violations which are specifically referenced for mandatory forfeiture, um, and that is violating performance-enhancing substances policy and violating the substances of abuse policy. So 
he can make a case, um, Frank Clark, that is, that you can't touch my signing bonus. Chiefs might feel compelled to try to get a portion of it back should there be a suspension um, as well. So don't know how this thing is going to work out. Um, Chiefs have options is basically what I'm trying to say. That If they want to try to get out of the contract this year, the guarantees, if they void or they deem them that he's his conduct has voided the guarantees, they can go that route. We leave a void on a team because of the need for a pass rusher. Um, Chris Jones already is someone looking to move from the inside and have him play as a defensive end at some por- some portion of the uh, season. But they brought in Melvin Ingram, who's um, still a free agent, uh, previously been with the Chargers, divisional rival. Uh, I wouldn't be surprised if they go ahead and sign Mar- uh, Melvin Ingram just as an insurance policy, regardless of which way they decide to go with Frank Clark. Chiefs have slightly under $8.5 million of cap room for 2021. Um, they can get more cap room um, for Tyran Matthew um, extension. That That's probably going to create cap room because he has got the largest cap hit uh, for a safety this year. So you could, you could clear several million in cap room um, from a Matthew extension. But the thing is, uh, I would imagine that Melvin Ingram's probably looking at that um, Jadavion Clowney deal is uh, what his market might be. Clowney signed for uh, $8 million on a one, $2 million in um, incentives, max of $10 million. And there's Ryan Kerrigan, older pass rusher, signed in May with Philadelphia. Uh, one year, $2.5 million deal, 3.5 max through incentives. So I would imagine it, it, it's going to be any one-year contract from Elvin Ingram would be somewhere between that range, those two numbers. Uh, but I'm keeping an eye on the Frank Clark situation just to see how Kansas City handles it. They haven't made a statement yet, but they do have a lot of options just because uh, his conduct does open the door for them to get out of the contract should they choose to go that route but that does not come without salary cap charges this year and next year when you need mealtime inspiration it's worth shopping kroger where you'll find over thirty thousand mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie and no matter what tasty choice you make you'll enjoy our everyday low prices plus extra ways to save like digital coupons worth over six hundred dollars each week you can also save up to one dollar off per gallon at the pump with fuel points more savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. What's up? It's Mike Jones from the Football Jones Podcast. I know you're enjoying your time with Inside the Cap, but once you're done, I want to invite you to come over and check out my podcast. Each week, we take a deep dive into some of the most pressing topics around the NFL high-profile guests from the coach, player, and front office ranks, as well as the top league insiders. Check out the Football Jones Podcast, another fine product brought to you by Empire Media. There were 10 players designated as uh, franchise players this year. Three of them have already signed long-term deals. Uh, The Giants re-signed defensive lineman Leonard Williams to a 
$63 million three-year contract, averaging $21 million per year. Uh, it's a record for a Giants contract, $45 million fully guaranteed. Broncos safety Justin Simmons became the highest paid safety, $61 million over four years, $35 million in overall guarantees, $32.1 fully guaranteed at signing. Deal average is $15.525 million per year, highest average per year for safety. And the Cowboys did stick a franchise tag on Dak Prescott for a second straight year, although they'd agreed to a new deal prior to the uh, period to designate players ending. Um, that's just to burn a second franchise tag uh, that um, Prescott's agents requested. $160 million over four years, an NFL record, $95 million fully guaranteed at signing. The seven franchise players... We haven't signed long-term deals yet. And July 15th, Thursday, 4 p.m. Eastern time is the deadline for franchise players to sign long-term deals. Otherwise, they can't sign long-term deals until the end of the regular season. The regular season ends on January 9th um, in 2022. The only reason we have this deadline of July 15th is because of a change in the 2006 CBA, which has survived in successive CBA. So prior to 2006, the system had this crazy rule where there's a 30-day period right after the franchise designation deadline for you to agree to a long-term deal. You got 30 days. Then there's a moratorium, which lasted basically for four months until July 14th. And at that point, you could sign a player to a long-term deal and didn't matter when you did it. You could do it in September. You could do it in August. It's like Walter Jones back then. It always came down to right around the regular season when he was going to sign a long uh, sign his franchise tender. And the, reason, and the crazy thing is during that four-month period that if you sign the player to a long-term deal, which is why I call it a moratorium, <laughs> that you were pre- prevented from using the franchise tag on another player as long as that long-term deal remained in existence. So they they got rid of that crazy part of the rule, which, I, which never seemed to make a lot of sense to me. But then stuck in this July 15th deadline. I'm not really sure why you have to do it before July 15th. But if you by 4 p.m. Eastern time on July 15th, but if you don't, no long-term deal. Now, if I'm one of these franchise players, the seven who haven't signed a long-term deal, you gotta blow me away with an offer to sign long-term for for this reason. The cap dropped 15.7 million dollars um, this year. It was 198.2 million in 2020. It's 182.5 million. Cap's probably gonna go up dramatically. There's the NFL and NFLPA reached a ceiling of 202.8 million for next year. They did that for a reason. I'm operating under the assumption that we're gonna be at the 202 208.2 million dollar ceiling since stadiums have been approved for full capacity again. So we're not gonna have the same drop in local revenue that we had had last year. So. Unless I can get pretty much what I want, I'm going to wait 
And franchise tag numbers are going to jump dramatically next year as well to the point where the 20% provision may not apply to some of these numbers. Typically, if you get franchised a second time, it's 120% of your prior year's salary. Technically, the rule reads it's 120% of your prior year's salary or whatever number the non-exclusive number is by the cap percentage average formula, whichever is greater. It never happens that the cap percentage average number is greater than the 120% in, the 20% increase just because the cap has been going up 6 7 8% every year. So that's, that's never occurred. If the cap dropping and the way the non-exclusive franchise numbers are calculated is you take the franchise tag numbers, how they were originally intended to be calculated for the previous five seasons, add that together, add together the salary caps of the previous five seasons, divide them into each other, then multiply what the cap's going to be for the upcoming year, and that's how you figure out the cap, the franchise tag numbers. The higher the cap goes up, the more that number is going to grow. So we're, we're talking, we're at $208.2 million, then 14.1% increase. So I'm not looking to do a deal unless I get what I want because free agency next year, the cap going up significantly, should be different than free agency this year. So wide receivers, the market was very soft this year. There were two receivers that were franchised uh, this year. We had uh, Chris Godwin with the non-exclusive, the cap percentage average formula number of $15.983 million. He may be lucky that he wasn't a free agent. They chose him over edge rusher Shaquille Barrett for the franchise tag because it wasn't the best year for Godwin statistically. Um, He was slowed by some injuries, concussion, hamstring, broken finger. Then in the playoffs, he was dropping balls uncharacteristically. This guy has sure hands, but a couple of those games, it was like, wow, with the drop passes with him. So, top receiver deal was Kenny Galladay and that market was slow to develop that was um 72 million over four years 18 million per year maxes out to 76 million of incentives 40 million full guarantees 28 fully guaranteed at signing this is a, a drop from where um the top free agency deal was the year before in 2020 Amari Cooper 20 million per year to stay with Dallas 60 million overall guarantees, 40 million fully guaranteed signing. And I've heard from multiple sources that if Amari Cooper wanted to go to the Washington football team in free agency, he would have been the highest paid wide receiver at the time, more than what was 20 Julio Jones was 22 million per year, but decided not to do that. So, might be better off for Godwin, who does want to stay in in Tampa to uh it, was, it may have been better for him not to be a free agent may, uh, just because of the way his season went. He wants to stay in Tampa. We'll see if they get a deal done. Allen Robinson, the Bears franchised him. 120% provision came into play for him. His number is $17.98 million on the franchise tag. He's thrived in Chicago despite inconsistent quarterback play. He didn't want to get franchised, but smartly signed the tender because it became fully guaranteed once you sign it. Um, when the Bears started sniffing around Kenny Galladay. Now, this one, I'd be surprised if there's a deal done. They were negotiating last year. 
didn't really come that close. There were rumors when that talks broke down, he wanted to be traded. Last September, you saw Keenan Allen signed for $20.25 million per year on a four-year extension with the Chargers, $50 million overall guarantees. Then you also saw um, shortly, shortly after that, DeAndre Hopkins became the highest-paid non-quarterback at $27.25 million per year on a uh, two-year extension uh, with the Cardinals. He had three years left on his contract when that happened. But uh, you're going to be over $20 million per year for Allen Robinson, so this probably doesn't get done. Uh, the Washington football team put a second franchise tag on Brandon Scherf this year for $18.063 million. Um, he made his fourth Pro Bowl in five years. Any deal you do with him is going to make him the highest paid interior offensive lineman. Joe Tooney in free agency signed for $16 million per year on a five-year deal to go to the Chiefs with $46.89 million guarantees. You're going to have to blow that away uh, if you want to keep ensure Scherf doesn't go anywhere. You're not going to stick a third franchise tag on him because it will be 144% of his prior year's salary or the biggest franchise tag number in any position. 144% is slightly under $26 million. And I'm projecting the largest, largest franchise tag number is always quarterback. And I'm projecting that to be uh, basically in, in the neighborhood of $29.725 million if you have the cap at the ceiling of $208.2 million. Uh, you're not sticking a franchise tag on him for either one of those numbers. So you're going to probably have to go... Seventeen and a half or million per year, maybe close to the franchise tag number of eighteen million on a long-term deal to get his attention. So, if Tooney gets sixteen million in free agency, we've seen that any time a guard in recent years hits the open market, high-caliber one in free agency, he resets the position. So, I expect that to happen. Um, with Sheriff, that either Washington's going to have to pay out the nose to keep him next year when they can't franchise him. Um, or they pay a premium right now to get it done. Two safeties, um, in, in addition to Simmons for franchise, Marcus Williams of the Saints and Marcus May of the Jets. Uh, their franchise tag number six ten point six two one million. Uh, Williams, in particular. I don't want to get, I'm not doing anything unless the market moves before Thursday. And that doesn't seem likely at this point. So I'm playing out under my tender. I'm playing under my tender because odds are I don't get franchised uh, again next year. Because I would, I assume that Marshawn Lattimore would be ranked higher on the totem pole for a franchise tag as a cornerback who's playing under his fifth, fifth year option. Maybe. Uh, Taron Armstead, the left tackle who's in a contract year, or if one of the quarterbacks proves that uh, either Taysan Hill or Jameis Winston proved their long-term replacement or answer for Drew Brees, you'd go there first with the tag. The safety market wasn't great in free agency. John Johnson, um, his deal came in below expectations. Um, it was $11.25 million per year, three-year contract, $24 million of guarantees. I, I thought that would be near the top of the safety market, but came in well below that. So we got two guys who could move the market. Uh, Jamal Adams doesn't want to be paid like a safety. He wants to be paid like a defensive uh, playmaker or defensive weapon. 
Um, he's not looking to just barely go over that Justin Simmons $15.25 million per year. He wants to blow it out of the water. And then Tyran Matthew, contract year. Can't franchise him next year because that number is going to be over $23 million with the 120% um, increase provision. Uh, he recently said he was optimistic about an extension. I'd imagine that it would make him the highest paid safety ahead of Simmons when he signed as a free agent. At $14 million per year two years ago, it made him the highest paid safety by average yearly salary. So let's say he's at 15.5. Knowing the market's going to move, I'm not doing anything um, if I'm Marcus Williams. The Jets have a terrible track record of keeping talented homegrown players. Leonard Williams talked about, traded him during the middle of 2019 season. He's making over $20 million per year. Jamal Adams, they traded last year um, at the roster cut down in August, right around that time. He's going to be the highest-paid safety when he signs. So that could put some pressure on the front office to do something with May. Now, if they're thinking that John Johnson deal is indicative of his market, you're never getting a deal done. That's a surefire way for him to play on the tender. If you want to stick him up there near the top of the safety market in that $14, $15 million per year range, you got a chance to get a deal done. Now, that leaves two other guys, two tackles, a left tackle and a right tackle that were franchised. Cam Robinson, Jaguars, biggest surprise of a franchise tag, and the tackle number is $13.745 million this year. When you say upper echelon, above average offensive tackle, the name Cam Robinson is not at the top of the list. So it was a surprise they stuck that um, tag on him. That position takes on added importance because you spent the first overall pick on quarterback out of Clemson, Trevor Lawrence, so you need to protect his blind side. So... I don't. I if I'm the Jaguars, I let him roll on the one-year deal, on the franchise tag. You hedged your bets by taking um, Walker Little, the tackle out of Stanford, a left tackle in the second round. I let him play on the tag. I am not paying him anything remotely close to the most recent data point for a left tackle, young left tackle, Colton Miller, first-round pick in 2018 by the Raiders. Three-year extension, averaging $18.05 million per year, $42.5 million in guarantees. I'm not going there. I don't. E- I wouldn't even go to the discounted deal Donovan Smith signed in late March to stay in Tampa, which was $30 million over two years on the extension. I mean, $31 million over two years on the extension. $15.5 million per year. I'm not going there with Cam Robinson right now. <laughs> if you can do what Garrett Bowles did when they didn't pick up the option in Denver for him last year and raise your play to Pro Bowl caliber level, and we have to pay you more than we're contemplating now, so be it. That means we have more peace of mind that you are the blindside protector of Trevor Lawrence. What I'm really doing if I'm them, since the Jags aren't going to have a high-priced quarterback for the foreseeable future, is monitoring the Armstead situation. If he plays out his contract, they don't franchise him, he's going to be the highest paid tackle. Maybe the first $25 million per year offensive lineman if he hits the open market. Trent Williams, right now highest paid tackle, $23.01 million. It's going to be 33 this year. There's Armstead's three years younger, so you may be at $25 million per year for him if he hits free agency. If I'm Jacksonville and he's available – I go that direction, do whatever I have to do to get Taron Armstead. I know he missed. There have been some durability concerns in the past. 
with him, but you got to find the right left tackle to protect Trevor Lawrence. And finally, we have Taylor Moten. Um, the Saints didn't do the Panthers any favors um, last week or the week before when they reset the right tackle market. Moten's a right tackle. He's been uh, working some at left tackle um, during the offseason. But $96 million five-year contract extension, $19.2 million per year. $60.2 million in guarantees, $43 million fully guaranteed at signing. You can't say that Lane Johnson deal from a couple of years ago at $18 million per year is an anomaly anymore. There's a big drop-off between these two deals and the next deal. Jack Conklin, $14 million per year to go to the Browns in free agency last year, a $30 million fully guaranteed at signing. I'm looking at the fact that my second franchise tag um, next year for Moten, if the cap is at $202.8 million is probably going to be the cap percentage average number, which would project to $16.631 million as opposed to 120% increase. And if I play well and I hit the open market, you're going to stick a second franchise tag on me for that number, or I'm going to hit the open market. And I figure worst case scenario, if he plays well, would be what Trent Brown did a couple of years ago in free agency when he had briefly become the highest paid, at least for half a season, highest paid tackle or offensive lineman in the NFL to go from the Patriots to the Raiders, signed for $16.5 million per year to play right tackle. So you got to get me in the vicinity of Lane Johnson, Ryan Ramsick for me to do a deal if I'm Taylor Moten. Well, those are the seven franchise players still left who have not signed long-term. Last year, you had 14 guys franchised, only two signed near the July 15th deadline. None had signed early, like the three guys, Simmons, Williams, and Prescott. But I'm betting on myself, unless I can get a deal which blows me away, if I'm any of these guys. I'm Ken Robinson. I'm thankful I got franchised. He signed a tender fairly quickly and go from there. I got a question what Jacksonville's doing if they pay him anything remotely close to uh, Colton Miller. Well, anyway, that's going to be it for this week's Inside the Cap. But uh, don't forget, you can find me on Twitter at Corey Joel. That is C-O-R-R-Y-J-O-E-L. And also read my CBSSports.com column, Agents Take. Uh, thanks for listening, and we'll see you back here next time. Goodbye.